Welcome back, Keith, and welcome to the MLB segment. As tonight, Keith and I will be analyzing the Diamondbacks and Rockies seasons for the upcoming 2019 baseball season. But, Keith, let's start off with the article I sent you. Uh, I think this is a stupid rule that the Major League Baseball Players Association is discussing that rule change that's including a universal DH3 batter minimum for pitchers and roster expansion and more. But I just think the DH to the National League shouldn't happen. See, that's where I'm going to have to disagree with you a little bit. I think that the DH would actually be a good thing uh, to have universally throughout the league. And let me, let me just tell you why. I think simply because it just it, – it evens the playing field. And you can talk about how, you know, the, the fact that when you play in the World Series, the fact that the pitcher has to hit when you, when you go to a National League park is, is – <clears throat> excuse me, is, is, you know, a part of the game and, you know, it, it presents kind of that, that other dynamic. But I think that, you know, one thing that I look at in particular with Universal DH is just the pressure that it takes off of guys who, you know, may be injury prone or, or you know, aren't, aren't great defenders, but you still want to be able to get that bat in the lineup. It allows the manager to have that flexibility throughout his lineup to be able to play with guys who, you know, like I said, may not be so great defensively. Oh, you can just throw him in at the DH because you want to be able to keep his bat in the lineup, late in that lineup, and be able to get an advantage over what is a, a really, really pitching-dominant league, especially in the National League when you have guys like, like DeGrom and Scherzer and Kershaw and Bueller going out there every fifth day. You have to be able to, to get that leg up offensively sometimes to be able to create that advantage. So I actually like the move. Um, I, I hate the idea – of uh, of the three batter minimum for pitchers, I think as far I think that completely takes away strategy, um, and it takes away guys that you know like the lefty specialist who come in and face that big bat like a Bryce Harper. Um, you know, it takes away the st- uh, the strategical advantage for managers, um, and I I think it's I listen I understand the idea that Major League Baseball wants to speed up the game a little bit and they want to make it more interesting or whatever the case may be, but you know. In the process of doing that, I think you're also taking away the the essence of the game itself, which is the fact that there is that strategy where, you know, I can bring in that lefty reliever, you know, for one batter to face that dynamic left-handed hitter in that lineup. I can, you know, make strategical moves that, you know, while they may slow the pace of play up, they give me advantages over the course of the game to be able to help me win ball games. That's the most important thing. And I think that that's what ML, the Major League Baseball um, – the Major League Baseball Players Association is missing. The fact that you're going to start taking away strategical advantages for managers and it's going to end up maybe costing them ball games. I, I mean, I don't know what to think of this, but I, I do believe that the – I do expect the pitcher to hit in the National League when it comes to National League games. I mean, I wouldn't – I, I'm not 100% opposed to the idea because I think it's a fu- – I think it's fun and, you know, I like the – I you know – Obviously, it's that that advantage for the pitcher to be able to have maybe that easy out. And, you know, like I said, it's it's fun. I certainly loved watching a guy like a Bartolo Colon hit, um, you know, when he came up to the plate. Those were always fun at bats for me. And, you know, I think it's always funny to watch American League pitchers step in there and try to swing the bat. But, um, you know, like I said, it's, it, you know, it evens the playing field and it gives the manager that option to be able to play that so-so fielder in the lineup and lengthen that lineup and, you know, allow him to, to be able to create advantages against the better pitchers in the National League. Yeah, so what you're, you read that article and you think that um, if there's an NLDH rule, you think the pitcher will still hit though? Um, see, I, I, here's the thing. 
I think if you have a pitcher um, that is an athletic pitcher, see, I, I look at a guy like a Kershaw, for example, right? Kershaw is, has always been regarded as one of the better hitting pitchers in the league. So I think if you have a guy like that, I know on my side for the Mets, I talk about, um, you know, Jacob DeGrom and Noah Syndergaard being these type of guys, guys that, you know, they can go up and hit and, you know, they, they can, you know, still put good swings up at the plate. They're, you know, guys that have the ability to bunt, obviously, in certain situations. I think in that situation, I wouldn't be opposed to having them hit. But for a majority of pitchers, they're just liabilities. And, you know, it, you know, kind of just takes it kind of just gives the other team an easy out and. You know, if there's one thing I can tell you about, you know, playing baseball from a personal experience is the fact that, you know, free outs in a ball game is the exact thing that can cost you ball games sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Since you're a baseball player yourself, but um, you're saying is that you, you're open to the idea of a universal DH when it comes to the National League. But I do. I still want to see the pitcher hit when it comes to the National League In the American League. You get a DH. Yeah, I think it's a. I, I think it's fun to have the pitchers hit. Um, you know, I, I just I take a look at it from a strategical standpoint. I've read the article though that I read that I sent you about. I'm I'm kind of yeah. I'm looking through it right now. Um, you know, like I said, I I hate the idea of having that three batter minimum for pitchers. I think it's completely ridiculous. Um, and like I said, I think it's just the idea that Major League Baseball is having of trying to you know speed up games, which is all good and well, but at the same time, you're taking away the essence of the game. Um, I know that the universal DH, like it mentions in the article has been talked about for like a, a really, really long time now. Um, but you know, I, I think that the only move on here, other than maybe the, um, the idea where they would expand rosters to 26 players, other than that, I, I think the rest of the ideas would be a, a little bit ridiculous. And um, I, I heard that there's also an idea that they have where they want to make the trade deadline sometime before the All-Star break. I read about a little bit earlier, um, which I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not opposed to that. I don't really know what to think of that one, to be completely honest. I would be open to for, 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 for the league to expand the rosters to, from 25 players to 26 players. I would be open to that. I, I like having the idea of more depth, um, you know, throughout your, you know, throughout your big league roster, especially as far as bench players go. Um, you know, it doesn't, it, it takes away the kind of that, that choice that you have to make of, you know, do you want better length in your bullpen or do you want better length in your bench? Now you can kind of even the splits between the two and uh, you know, that helps managers, uh, on a day-to-day basis. And it also helps players because it allows them to, you know, be able to have possibly more rest days, especially for the guys that are injury prone. So I actually like that idea. And I, it also says here that they are, um, there are potentially discussions about them going back to the 15 day DL, as opposed to where they switched it to the 10 day DL. I could say them going back to the old school 15 day DL. Cause it, 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 it could give a pitcher, like two weeks to heal if they have to go on the DL for 15 days. But I know the 60-day DL, you could be out for for more months. Yeah, yeah, you can be out for a, an incredibly significant amount of time. But I actually do like the 15-day uh, the DL switch, um, especially for pitchers, you know, with you know when you get guys like, uh, you know, who are having – I know Steven Matz is pretty notable for this where, you know, you have um, – you know, he's typical for having things like um, – you know, like forearm tightness, for example, that's happened to him like maybe two, three times a year. You know, you give him that ability to extend his rehab process longer and allow him to get healthier. So I think that's a great advantage. 
Um, you know, other than that, a lot of these rules are, are completely ridiculous. And, you know, they need to think about the fact that, you know, j- just because you want to speed up the game and make it more appealing doesn't mean you have to completely change the essence and the, you know, the crux of the strategy of the game. I know that the Major League Baseball wants to do it, but I kind of th- I kind of choose a couple rule changes that I want. I want Ross. I want 26. I want a six, 26 man roster. I don't like the three batter minimum rule. I don't really like that. I mean, the universal DH is something I could be opposed open to. And then going back to the 15 day deal is something I'm open to as well. When it yeah, comes I to agree. Those rule changes. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. We see eye to eye. And, um, you know, the, the three batter minimum, I, I think, is just going to be is just going to be stupid. I think it's going to be completely detrimental. And, you know, what I, I think in particular, it, it's going to take away jobs for guys you know lefty relievers have a you know have a particular job in this league there are guys that are strictly lefty specialist guys that come in for one batter and and that's their job so now you're going to take away their position that they thrive at and you're going to take away that strategical advantage to me that just it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense yeah that doesn't make sense too but with with that being said now we kind of talked about the potential rule changes i like the rule i like the rule where where each team gets six mound visits. I think that still speeds up the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's I think it's fair to limit mound visits. I think you know that's. I, I think having too many mound visits is is completely ridiculous over the course of the game. You know, it's just not only does it slow down the game, but at the same time, it's like you know how much how much you know if you really have to go out to the mound that many times over the course of the game, that means a, a couple of things. Either number one. You're, you're just not prepared as a team for whatever, um, you know, whatever play defensively you're putting on, whatever uh, strategy you need to bring in for the pitcher. But number two, as far as the pitcher is concerned, he's just not emotionally stable enough to be out there. And, you know, that's just something that shouldn't be the case for a major league pitcher. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right about that. And then there's also an, an interesting developing star in the Bryce Harper sweepstake, which we'll get to right now, is that um, – the Giants had a, have had an early meeting with – are going to have a meeting with him. They made a late push to get him, but I don't see the Giants getting Bryce Harper because, like we talked about all along in our episodes, Bryce Harper is going to be a Philly. Oh, yeah. No, it's a foregone conclusion like we've mentioned. Um, you know, I, I like the idea of the Giants getting in there. The Giants obviously are, a, are, are an appealing market to go to, and that ballpark he's hit great in. Obviously, he's had good success against the Giants, but – I, I don't really think that they're a contender. I think they're kind of just putting their feet in the water just to see where it takes them. But, um, you know, I, I think, w- you know, without actually having the visual contract in front of him, he's pretty much a Philadelphia Philly at this point. Yeah, for sure. So now that we got touched on that, um, now there's another interesting story. Before we get to the Diamondbacks and Rocky season previews, there's the Phillies surprisingly entered the Real Muto sweepstake, but like like we said last week, I think Real I believe I 100% expect JT Real Muto to end up going to the Cincinnati Reds. And I agree with you 100% on that. Um, the Phillies are an interesting one for me, and I think that's kind of a uh, what I would kind of take away from that is is that it's kind of a ploy maybe. Um, for them to kind of get the ball rolling on maybe a Keuchel and a, and a Craig Kimbrell, you know, having a, a an attractive high end catcher like a JT Real Muto is is attractive to to pitching free agents, and I think that a Keuchel and a Kimbrell would kind of look at that and open their eyes and kind of say, oh, okay, you know, you're going to get a high level catcher in there. Okay, that's intriguing to me. I like the fact of having a guy that can not only 
you know, provide me run support over the course of the game, but he knows how to manage a staff. He calls a good game. He's got a good arm and he's good defensively. So that's attractive. Um, I kind of think that's their mindset going into it, whether or not they have the pieces to do it. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Cause I feel like my instinct would be that. They would have the, to give up Jorge Aflalo. That's what I saw. They would have, they would definitely have to give up Alfaro and I wouldn't be shocked if they would have to give up maybe Herrera. Um, I think that maybe the Marlins would ask for uh, Nick Williams, maybe Michael Franco. There's a lot of pieces that would have to come and go for the Phillies that might be core pieces, especially in their lineup. But, I, you know, the idea of it is interesting. So I think maybe they're doing that, uh, like I said, just to kind of maybe grab the attention a little bit more of a Keuchel and a Kimbrel in this case. But, you know, like me and you agreed upon, I think that, I think he's probably going to go to the Reds. Yeah, expect JT Real Muto to go to the Reds, not the Phillies. So the Reds are going to win the Real Muto sweepstakes. Yeah, that, that's probably what's going to end up happening here. Yeah, for sure. But now with that being said, let's talk about the Diamondbacks and Rockies 2019 seasons. But first off, let's start off with the Arizona Diamondbacks. The biggest offseason move that the Diamondbacks did since they got rid of Paul Goldschmidt with the, to the Cardinals is adding Greg Holland to be their closer. Which I love. I love Greg Holland as their closer. Um, he had a, a, a under two ERA when he signed with the Washington Nationals uh, later in the season. Um, you know, he's a proven guy. He's closed at a high level. Obviously he's won a world series and, you know, I, I love the one, two punch that they have at the back end of that bullpen with him and, uh, with him and Archie Bradley. I think that that's an incredibly dynamic duo they got going on back there. Um, obviously I don't think much of the Arizona diamondbacks, especially without Goldschmidt in their lineup. I don't think they, I think they probably end up in fourth place in the division anyway, but I still love having that at the back end. Yeah especially the bullpen of the Diamondbacks being so bad la- down the stretch last season. They got Hirano, who's okay, but expect uh, Archie Bradley to be the setup man for the uh, Diamondbacks. But maybe one of these days, Archie Bradley's going to be the closer for the Diamondbacks. And that might also be another point of why they signed Greg Holland. Maybe they're kind of taking Greg Holland in not only to fill that closer role, obviously, but to kind of, um, you know, kind of give Archie Bradley a show of the ropes as far as how, you know, you conduct yourself as a closer, how you go about the day-to-day process of it. Because I fully expect at some point Archie Bradley to take over that closer role because he is too good of stuff not to. Yeah, he, Archie Bradley started out being a starting pitcher, and now he's turned out to be a very good high-leverage reliever. But with the Diamondbacks, what went wrong for them last season was that Brad Boxberger decreased, uh, regressed. Oh, yeah, he was – he, he really, really took a couple of steps back. He was a very, very good reliever uh, when he was down in Tampa Bay. He was a closer there for a little bit. Um, and then he came to the Dime, you know, he came to the Diamondbacks and it just kind of seemed like his stuff just wasn't on par. You know, he's, he's been losing some velocity on his fastball, obviously. And, you know, he, he just seemed like he never really got comfortable uh, at any point during the year. And, you know, among a, among a multitude of things that really didn't go the Diamondbacks way, that was certainly one of them. Yeah, I mean, Boxberger had a great start last season, and he was, like, unstoppable as the closer and didn't blow any saves. But towards the later part of the year, he was blowing a lot of saves, and he ended up losing the closer's job. That's what went wrong for the Diamondbacks last year. Yeah, he just, you know, I don't really know what to point to as far as his struggles. Um, You know, it, it could be a number of things. It could just be feel on his pitches. Um, You know, maybe he just got fatigued you know, at whatever point during the season, whatever the case may be. 
um, he, he just, he just lost it. And, you know, obviously that happens sometimes, but, uh, you know, to struggle the way that he did after, you know, starting off so well is just, uh, is just a big fall off really is the only way you could put it. Yeah. I expect this Diamondbacks bullpen to be better because Holland and Bradley are going to be the, the great, great pieces to the back end of the bullpen. Hirano will be, is, is, is somewhat solid. Andrew Chafin's a good left-handed reliever, but struggles at times in high leverage situations. Yeah, he does. And I think, I think that's why they, uh, you know, that's why you're going to have to lean more on Archie Bradley this year and Greg Holland, obviously bringing him in, but I like Chafin's stuff from the left side. He's a very, very good pitcher. And Hirano's not bad too. No, he, he is a very good guy. He's a very good guy for them. Um, I mean, their bullpen is going to be good. Are they going to be fantastic? Maybe that's going to depend on a couple of things. Number one, how Holland fits in. And um, obviously the continued growth of Bradley, who I think in a couple of years has a shot to be one of the better closers in baseball when he slides into that role because of that absolutely dynamic stuff that he has. Um, you know, it's to me right now, it's, it's just a, it's a big kind of wait and see with, with the Diamondbacks bullpen and with this Diamondback team as a whole. Yeah, for sure. And then talk about let's talk about the rotation and talk about notable pieces that are as one guy who's going to be on the DL most likely until like until sometime in August is Taiwan Walker, who's kind of an okay pitcher, but expect Granky and Ray to be the one two guys on the rotation because when Robbie Ray's healthy, because he missed pretty much all last year after his breakout 2017 season, Robbie Ray went healthy has tremendous stuff. Oh yeah, he absolutely does, and you know he's gonna have to. He's going to have to really carry the load along with Granky. Um, I actually mentioned, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I mentioned that at some point during the year, if the diamond, when the Diamondbacks are out of contention, I wouldn't be shocked if they traded him for some pieces, maybe, you know, get that contract off the books. Um, Walker to me has always been a guy and, you know, that has all this potential and just kind of never really got comfortable on the mound for me. Um, you know, I saw him a little bit in Seattle and, you know, he has obviously some good stuff, good overhand curveball, good change, uh, uh, good split finger. Um, you know, he throws hard, but, you know, he, he just seems to on a consistent, uh, you know, on a on a start to start basis, not always have the same feel on his pitches. And then obviously he's going to have to come back from this injury and show that number one, he's healthy. But number two, that, you know, he, he can grow into a piece that is going to be in the rotation for a long time. But I love Robbie Ray. Like you mentioned, um, they got Luke Weaver, uh, in the Paul Goldschmidt trade. I like him as a young arm. I see him as being kind of that five guy in the rotation for them. I like him a lot, uh, coming from the, uh, coming from the St. Louis Cardinals. He's a young guy that you can build around as well. Yeah, that's what I think that was a I don't know if both teams won that trade, but I mean, say if Zach Granke were to be traded at the dead trade deadline, expect Robbie Ray to be the uh, number one guy for the Diamondbacks. But Robbie Ray has number one stuff. Oh, he absolutely does. He throws hard from the left side. He's got a wicked slider. And, um, you know, he, he really grew, obviously, in 2017, had that big breakout year and. You know, I, I can't wait to see what he does this year because, like you mentioned, when healthy, he has dominant stuff from the left side. And, um, you know, I, I think that he's going to end up being the centerpiece of that rotation for them going forward, or at least he should be. He should be. I mean, I've seen as a Dodger fan myself, I have seen Robbie Ray pitch at Dodger games before. And 
the Dodgers seem to have a very hard time hitting off of Robbie Ray. I kind of want them to kind of wear him out, even though he can walk a lot of batters. Robbie Ray is just a pitcher that, that against the Dodgers and pitching at Dodger Stadium, he just likes pitching at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, and that's a great sign for the Arizona Diamondbacks, considering the fact that the Dodgers are going to be the big player in that, in that division for a long time, along with the Colorado Rockies, which obviously we'll get to later. Um, but having that number one guy that has the ability to go to uh, you know a, a big rival stadium and Dodger Stadium be able to pitch the way that he does it, is important for that number one piece in your rotation to be that guy that that goes out there and be that stopper against your number one rival. It's it's big. Yeah, so you, you see that in Robbie Ray. I do too, and I've seen him pitch against the Dodgers, especially when he pitches at Dodger Stadium. But I mean, he's a pretty good pitcher at home because Chase Field's kind of a hitter's park, but. I think Robbie Ray's a very good road pitcher too, especially when he pitches at AT&T Park, Peckle Park, Dodger Stadium, because those are more pitcher-friendly parks. Yeah, and he's you know obviously throwing a, a guy with that type of stuff in in you know pitchers' parks is just a, a major advantage for them. And you know we'll we'll see how they build around him in that rotation going forward. I expect Luke Weaver to be a part of this rotation along with him. Um, you know, hopefully Walker can grow into something and. You know, Ray is, is is dynamic when he's healthy. I haven't seen a whole lot of him personally um, just because, the, obviously, the Diamondbacks and the Mets don't really play, uh, you know, more than a series or two uh, over the course of the year. But, you know, when he's out there, that, that kid is electric from the left side. Yeah, he, he, had, he had a lot – he had forearm injuries last year, so that's why he wasn't that great last year. But even – expect Ray to have a full healthy year, and I think he – and and and, he, and Ray right now is going to be the number two guy for the in the Diamondbacks rotation behind Granky because when the Dodgers play the Diamondbacks on opening day, expect Zach Granky to go up against Clayton Kershaw and then Robbie Ray going up against Walker Bueller on night two. Ooh, ooh, that sounds like a lot of fun too. Robbie Ray and Walker Bueller on night two. That sounds fit. That sounds amazing. And I love I love the Granky. Kershaw matchup don't get me wrong but I I love me two fireballing guys from the right and left side that are dynamic arms that's gonna be fun yeah expect that to be night two when it's the Dodgers and the uh, Diamondbacks for that one but talk about another guy that that is also taking it seriously in the rotation Zach Godley has a has good stuff like he has a good spin curveball for a right-handed pitcher but I think with Zach Godley he can be very good he can be. He can be really effective, and you know, obviously, he's not going to be a uh, he, he's not a number one guy. But I mean, he's one of those guys that you know he he can go out there and give you solid innings over the course of the game. He's got really good off speed stuff, like you mentioned. He can spin that breaking ball really well. Um, you know, he can give you some length in that rotation, and I, I think he's one of the more underrated kind of guys on this team. He gets a little bit overlooked just because he doesn't have that dynamic stuff, but. Yeah, he's, he's, he's 28 years old. He's a, you know, what you would, I guess, consider a veteran guy. And, um, you know, he'll be able to fill in that spot and, you know, log some innings behind, behind them. And, you know, I, I, I personally think that, you know, he can take a lot of pressure off of a guy like Robbie Ray, maybe to kind of get a little bit more comfortable, um, you know, coming, you know, coming back and, and try to get him fully, you know, fully acquainted and get him healthier throughout the year, just because, you know, you have that guy behind him that you know is going to be able to you know to be able to go out there the next day and and give you some innings so you know you can just go out there and and be free-flowing and you know pitch your game and you know that the next day you know a a series isn't necessarily in jeopardy yeah with Zach Godley what I see out of him 
that spin that he has on his curveball is confusing for hitters to hit. And that's what's good about Zach Godley. He's a he's a good curveball pitcher for a right-hander. Yeah, he is. And, you know, you get that good spin, uh, you know, allows you to get that late break on that curveball. And, you know, uh, you know, you can talk about the loopier curveballs in the game and, you know, how that affects hitters in that different way. But one thing I can tell you is that that good snap on a breaking ball, when it has that tight spin and that good rotation, you know, it, it drops out of the zone quick and, you know, it falls out, it falls off the table, you know, like a lot of guys like to say, and, you know, proposes a really, really big matchup problem because you can throw – you know, you, you can get that high fastball going up around the shoulders, and then all of a sudden you get that curveball, you start it up around the shoulders, it falls off the table. You're throwing both those pitches off the same plane, and it confuses and changes the eye level of the hitter and makes it more difficult to hit. Oh, I, I mean, of course on that, but talk about a, another offseason signing for the Diamondbacks, one of your former favorite New York Mets players, Wilmer Flores. Oof, man. Oh, boy. I love Wilmer. He's he's dear to my heart, and I'm so happy that he was able to get a deal here. And a good deal at that. A, you know, a nice one-year deal for them. Not, you know, not risky for the Diamondbacks. High-risk, high-reward guy. Um, I mean, he's a guy that's played all over the infield. Um, I've He's not a great outfielder, but obviously, if you want to give somebody a day off, you could throw him in there. Um, you know, he's a good power bat against lefties. Loves to hit that low inside fastball. And you know, I, I think he's a guy that could thrive at, at Chase Field. It, it, you know, it's a good hitter's park. He's transitioning from, obviously, a, a big-time pitcher's park in City, in City Field over there to, uh, to Chase Field. So, I like this situation for Wilmer. He's going to get an opportunity to play every day at second base, um, probably, because I see them more than – and we'll get to the lineups, obviously, in a moment. But I see them um, probably giving Wilmer a shot to start at second and maybe moving Cattell Marte full-time to center – and That's what I Jor- see too on the on the depth chart. Expect to tell Marte to go to center field because Marte has the speed. Oh yeah, he has the speed, and, and um, you know, I, I, I want to tell you about Cattell Marte. I mm-hmm. saw him in a live game once at a Dodger game, and I saw him him hit a home run almost out of Dodger Stadium. It almost went over to that le- over the left field over the left field roof and into the uh, parking lot. That that was like man, does he have, is he John Carlos Stanton? I didn't even know he had that type of pop on him. Right, that that's actually crazy. I didn't even know he had that type of pop. Yeah, that's one of the longest home runs I've seen a Diamondbacks player hit when I've seen the Diamondbacks play live from a Dodgers fan perspective myself when it comes to those long home runs by a visiting player. Yeah, I, I I'm actually I'm actually really shocked to hear that. I I didn't even I didn't even know he could have that type of pop on him. That's crazy, actually. I didn't know that. Yeah, and expect Flores to start at first, and then a guy who I think is going to start at first now that the Diamondbacks said Eduardo Escobar is Jake Lamb. And I like Jake Lamb a lot. I think Jake Lamb is, uh, you know, coming into his zone as a hitter. He's got a ton of pop, and, um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he, he's, you know, heading into his prime at age 28. He had a little bit of injury problems uh, last year. He only had 207 at-bats. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, when he is healthy, he's a prolific hitter from the left side. I think it, it was 2017 when he, you know, 2016, 2017, 29 home runs, 91 RBIs. And then in 2017, he had a really nice uh, year for him, 30 home runs and 105 RBIs, um, you know, and also getting his walk rate up, drawing 87 walks and, you know, putting him in the lineup along with David Peralta. Those are two impact bats. And, you know, he's obviously a guy that I think the Diamondbacks are planning on building around. Yeah, for sure. And uh, now with Goldsmith being out, I see the Diamondbacks, when it comes to the lineup and comes to who their hitters are, 
I think it's going to be built around David Peralta. David Peralta has good has good pop and good contact with the bat. Not a guy that's going to hit 50 or 40 home runs, but he's a guy that's very good hitting hitting triples into the gaps, and he's a guy that's also a very good outfielder as well. Oh yeah, he's a great two way player. He's like a you know a two ninety three hundred type of guy. Uh, you know twenty twenty five home runs. He's a solid steady bat. He plays every day. Um, he's a very very dependable guy. Obviously one of the better defensive outfielders in in the National League. And you know I I he's a great guy to have in your lineup every day. Like I said, along with Jake Lamb. So um, you know those are two pieces that obviously the Diamondbacks have a lot to look forward to. Yeah, now with the Diamondbacks, the dumbest move that they did was letting trading ball Goldschmidt, literally their franchise guy to the Cardinals, which next week you and I will be talking about the Cardinals and Cubs offseason outlook. Now that we're going to be done with the national league West, we're going to be moving to the national league central next week. Um, And I'm really excited about that. Those are going to be two really fun teams to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like next week we'll talk about the Cubs and Cardinals. Then we'll go with the Brewers and the pot will, and then we'll talk about the Brewers and then the Reds and then the, Pirates when it comes to the National League Central for when we when we talk when we move to the National League Central starting next week. That's oof, that 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 Central is going to be a packed division in this year, and uh, we talked about this. I, I I mentioned I expect the Cubs and the uh, the Cardinals to be my two wild card teams, and those are the Cubs, Cardinals, and the Brewers. Those are three teams that can win over ninety five games this year. It's going to be that's going to be a really really fun division to talk about. It is. I'm looking forward to talking about the the NL Central with you next week. But with that being said, talking about losing Paul Goldschmidt to the, from the Diamondbacks, that was very stupid for them. And also, A.J. Pollock, who I think is healthy, very good player for the Diamondbacks, literally the best center fielder in the game and healthy. But now he's on my Dodgers. And we talked about the Dodgers a couple weeks ago and talked about him being a tremendous fit on the Dodgers. Yeah, I didn't really see sense in either of those two moves. I think talking about, um, I think talking about uh, Pollock as far as that concerned, I think it's a little bit more of an injury history thing uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, which I can understand why they would be weary about that. Um, you know, he's a guy that obviously went healthy. He's one of the better center fielders in the game. He's got a ton of pop. He can you know steal bases and he's a great defender. Uh, but I think they were just wary about the uh, the price tag related to injuries. As far as Paul Goldschmidt goes, I, I just don't get it. I just really don't get it. When you have a guy like that who is a, you know, a perennial MVP candidate pretty much every year and he's the centerpiece of your franchise, you know, it's one thing to rebuild. It's another thing to rebuild and then trade the piece that should be the centerpiece of your rebuild. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I would love to be able to get inside the head of the Diamondbacks front office. And I would love to know what the hell they're thinking. Because if you're going to pick somebody to trade on this team, I, I would have preferred, I love David Peralta and I love Jake Lamb, but I would have preferred to trade the two of them over Paul Goldschmidt. I have no idea what in the world they're talking, they're doing. And um, I, no, I don't think the return was so incredibly tremendous. And I look at the Cardinals and they're a million times better for it now. So the, uh, to me, other than, other than we talk about Luke Weaver, to me, that's that, that trade is completely one-sided and didn't make a whole lot of sense. It didn't make sense for the Diamondbacks to trade Paul Goldschmidt, literally a guy who was their face of the franchise guy. I really thought I, I was thinking that the Diamondbacks were an office. Their GM, Mike Hazen, was going to give Paul Goldschmidt a lifetime contract. But I don't know what was what was in the mind of Mike Hazen. I, I don't either. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I think what would have made sense is if they would have gone out and traded if they 
you know, obviously it would have made sense for them to keep Paul Goldschmidt. That That's the big thing. But if you're going to trade Paul Goldschmidt, I need a bigger return than, than what they got. That doesn't, you know, it, it just the, – the return for a guy like a Paul Goldschmidt who, like I mentioned, is a perennial MVP candidate every single year – you know, a guy that can hit 300, hit 30 to 40 home runs, and even steal you some bases every now and then, and he's a gold-glove defender. Um, you know, he's the centerpiece of what your rebuild – he should be the centerpiece of your rebuild. I just don't – I don't really understand the direction that they plan on going. Obviously, we'll see how that plays out. But, like, like really? That, like, that's my only reaction. Like, seriously? And that was my reaction when it happened. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, and obviously, uh, I'll tell you this. For the Diamondbacks, I think Tori Lovello's done a tremendous job with the Diamondbacks. And I think he's he's going to be around for the Diamondbacks for a while, even though the Diamondbacks can't win a playoff game past the wild card round. But all in all, even though I've seen Tori Lovello manage against the Dodgers, he's a SoCal kid. Tori Lovello is a pretty is a very good manager. Oh, he is a very good manager. I I love having him at the helm for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think he's, I, I think he's an excellent communicator among men. He's obviously a very good baseball mind, and um, you know, I, I think you know they're kind of putting him in a tough position. Obviously, trading away Goldschmidt and kind of having the team constructed as it is now, where it's like. You know, they have some nice pieces, but they're not really going anywhere, especially in that division where it's so top-heavy right now with uh, the Dodgers and the Rockies being the two main contenders. Um, and obviously, like I mentioned, I see them as a fourth-place team. But, you know, having a good manager like Tori Lavello is obviously a way to be able to keep the clubhouse happy um, and a way to just, you know, show some stability in your franchise. Absolutely. With that being said, I'm going to predict you my lineup for the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks now. So I have David Peralta leading off and playing left field. Batting second is the uh, right fielder, Steven Souza Jr. Batting third, the first baseman, Jake Lamb. Batting fourth, the second baseman, Wilmer Flores. Batting fifth, the third baseman, Eduardo Escobar. Batting sixth, the shortstop, Nick Ahmed. Batting seventh, the catcher, Alex Avila. And batting eighth is the center fielder, Cattell Marte. Oof, you got a you got a lot of confidence in Wilmer there batting him fourth. I mean, I I don't I don't completely, I don't you know, I I don't completely dismiss the idea of having Wilmer batting fourth because he has that power potential. But that Wilmer, Wilmer batting fourth that's a bold strategy. Yeah, I mean, have him have him hit behind Jake Lamb would give him that much protection. And Steve Souza Jr. when healthy is a very good hitter too, has power and speed. Oh, yeah, he's a very underrated player on, on that team. I actually loved that acquisition by them. I think that was a very, uh, very underrated move for them. He's, like you said, he's a big power threat. He can steal some bases. Um, so let me give you my projected uh, 2019 lineup for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Leading off, I have Cattell Marte, that big, uh, that big speed guy up at the top. I would love to see him uh, go out and maybe try to steal some more bases this year because he clearly has the speed to be able to do it. Um, batting second, I have uh, Eduardo Escobar. Uh, batting third, I have David Peralta. Batting fourth, I actually have Steven Souza. Batting fifth, I have Jake Lamb. I have Nick Ahmed sixth, Wilmer Flores seventh, and Alex Avila, the catcher, batting eighth. The reason why I have Marte batting eighth is because 
I want speed in the bottom of the lineup for the Diamondbacks, and with David Peralta, he can also steal bases too, and he also runs very well too. He also he does steal bases and he runs well, but he's also a guy for me. I take a look in this lineup, and he's one of my bigger power guys, and he's one of my guys that I want to have up in run, uh, you know, in RBI situations. So you know that's why I kind of have him. At, that's why I have him at my third spot because while he is a guy that you can throw at the top of your lineup and have be that pure hitter. Um, I want one. I want my bigger, you know, my big impact bats to have, you know, RBI situations. So, you know, I throw him in that third spot, and I have you know, uh, Marta and Escobar up at the top. Two guys that, you know, have some speed, and you know, I, Escobar has a little bit of power on him. He did hit 21 home runs last year, which gets a little bit lost in the mix because uh, he's not really a, um, you know, a highly talked about type of guy. Um, but you know, I, I like to have my speed at the top of the lineup, and then I have. You know, my, you know, my, my core of the lineup, you know, are the guys that I have, or, you know, the guys that are the home run guys and that I want to have up in the RBI situation. So that's why I have Peralta third, Souza fourth and Lamb fifth, and also gives me that lefty, righty, lefty, um, you know, kind of break up in the middle of the order. Yeah. So after we break down the Rockies, I'm going to predict my breakout players for each team in the NL West, but I'm going to start off with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So I think their breakout player will be this year for the Diamondbacks. I think it's going to be a guy who I think is going to really take his game to the next level this year, and that's going to be Nick Ahmed. I actually really like that pick a lot. Um, Nick Ahmed, you know, has shown some flashes of being able to do some good things. Um, I think one thing for me that I would love to see him do is I would love for him to to cut down his strikeout numbers. He strike out, you know, he struck out 109 times last year, which which may not sound like a whole lot, but it is just just it is. It is, especially because of the fact that he's a shortstop and that's, you know, while that position over the last five, six, seven, eight years has kind of transitioned into more of a power position with guys like Troy Tulowitzki, guys like Trevor Story, um, you know, he's he's not a true big time power guy. You know, he's a 10, 15 home run kind of guy, um, but I do like his skill set. I think he's a really, really good defender as well. Um, so I agree with you. I think he's a guy that, you know, will, is going to take his game to the next level this year. And is certainly going to have to considering, uh, that, you know, they, they're missing a huge piece in Goldschmidt in the middle of that lineup. They're going to have to lengthen it somehow. And, you know, hopefully that comes from him. Yeah. That's who I predict my breakout player for the Arizona Diamondbacks this year. Cause since we're ending our national league West talk, I'm predicting breakout players for each team on the national league West, as well as you and I are on our MLB segment today. I've started with the Diamondbacks since we were talking about them today. That's why I picked Nick Ahmed as my breakout player for the Diamondbacks this year because last year he was a 230 type hitter, and I see him raising that game up a little bit. I do too. I 100% agree with you on that. I think that's a great. I, I think that's a great pick. Yeah, and uh, and and there and then you like the reason why I have Cattell Marte batting eighth is because I want to have speed on the bottom of the lineup when the pitcher bunts him over so that he can have the speed to advance to second or third base when he gets on base. I can understand your point on, on that. I, I think that's a very, very good point. But at the same time, what I take a look at is, um, you know, the, how can I put this? The way, the way that I'm having it looked at where I have Cattell Marte at the top and then David Peralta at third is the idea that what you're creating is that speed and then at the top of the order early on in the game where you're going to see those fastballs early on, that's when I want Peralta up in those RBI situations with that speed. He can hit the ball in the gap, 
What I'm kind of thinking about is where I see where you have Marte eighth. I like the idea of it where you can put him on base, you have the pitcher butt him over. But if I'm a pitcher and I'm taking a look at that situation, I have Marte on second base now, and I get Peralta at the top of the lineup. Oh, okay. Here's here's a change up away and then two back foot sliders and then maybe a fastball inside, you know, inside up on the hands. I never allow Peralta to have the opportunity to drive in a run because I make him uncomfortable at the, up at the plate and keep him off balance. Whereas earlier in the game where I have Marte up at the top and then Peralta kind of up in that first inning, when I'm a pitcher, I'm looking and getting a feel for my stuff early on in the game. Where's my fastball command at? How's my breaking ball breaking out of my hand? Am I able to throw it for a strike? Is it bouncing in the dirt the way that I want it to? Am I getting a feel on the run and sink for that changeup? I'm looking for those things early on the game so you're more susceptible to leaving pitches over the middle of the plate, missing location, as opposed to getting stronger later in the game when the you know that lineup starts to roll around a couple more times. That's just my thinking about it. But I can understand why you would put Marte at the bottom to get that speed transitioning up to the top. Absolutely on that. But now that being said, with the Diamondbacks most likely have, having an 82-80 and 80 record in fourth place, let's talk about the team that is going to – Keep up with the Dodgers in the National League West. Let's talk about the Colorado Rockies and talk about what their plans are for 2019. But talk about the Rockies having their they had their bullpen last season was off to they had their bullpen had stretches that couldn't get the job done, blowing saves. But if you look at the Colorado Rockies bullpen, this bullpen looks very good on paper. It starts with Wade Davis as the closer. Ryan Shaw did not have a great year. Mike Dunn is okay, but I think with the Rockies, even though it's a pitch, hitter's park at Coors Field, their starting rotation is going to be very good. Their starting rotation is going to be good. And one guy that really jumped out at me last year was Kyle Freeland. He came out and had, uh, you know, had a, a really good second half, especially. I think he's going to be a really, really good uh, pitcher for them. Um, Herman Marquez is a guy that I expect to come in this year and, and take that next step forward. He's a younger guy with good stuff. Um, I love John Gray. Obviously, he's a former num- uh, former number one draft pick of theirs. Um, it, and, um, you know, obviously, Jeff Hoffman is a guy that they got in the Troy Tulowitzki deal. He's got big time stuff. We'll see if he's able to make that jump in the rotation this year. Um, you know, and, and Tyler Anderson from the left side is a guy that's obviously a really solid pitcher. Uh, they have a lot of depth as far as their rotation is concerned. You know, they're, they're about six, seven, eight guys deep when you talk about uh, Freeland, Marquez, Anderson, Gray. Chad Bettis is a guy that's got starting experience. Um, Antonio Senzatella is a young arm that I know that they like. And then, obviously, Hoffman, I mentioned. I think Jeff Hoffman will make the team out of spring training this year. I see him going into the bullpen as their long reliever. I see Chad Bettis going to the bullpen as well because I I think it's time to put Antonio Senzatella into the bullpen, into the rotation, because Senzatella has very good stuff. But talk about – I'm going to point out Freeland and Marquez. Freeland is one of my favorite pitchers on the Colorado Rockies when it comes to the starting rotation because I knew he grew up in Denver, and I saw him in his – the, the first game I saw Kyle, Kyle Freeland play was when he made his major league debut against the Dodgers. And I was like, man, he has very good stuff. But with Marquez – He's a flamethrower. Oh, yeah. And Marquez is a big – Marquez, like you said, he's a flamethrower. He's a big arm and, you know, a young kid at 23, and he's only got more room to grow. And, you know, he uh, he threw very well for them um, last year in the postseason. He threw only about – you know, he only had a five-inning game. But for a guy that is, uh, you know, is as young as he is, to be able to go out there in that game and, and pitch the way that he did to me is impressive. 
Um, he had a 3.77 ERA last year in 33 starts, 14 and 11 record in 196 innings pitch. And he's already got a lot of experience under that belt. And he's a guy that had, he had 230 strikeouts last year. So obviously he's able to get swings and misses and, you know, having that ability for the Colorado Rockies is huge considering the type of ballpark that they play in. Um, you know, they, they've had, they, they've tried experiments with, with sinker ball guys. Like, you know, I can remember when they threw Kyle Kendrick in their rotation, you know, those guys don't really work in that type of ballpark. You need to have those kind of guys that have swing and miss stuff. And, and Marquez is, you know, certainly a guy that jumps out in that department and him and Freeland are going to be really, really good for them going forward at the top of that rotation. Yeah, I think how but even though that Bud Black has a pitching mind, he, the Rockies manager is, I think Bud Black is the reason why Freeland and Marquez are like the two aces on the starting rotation for the Rockies. That's uh, what I want to point out there about for Bud Black. Oh yeah, Bud Black is fantastic and I you know, he's had experience working with great pitchers. You know, you remember him in uh in San Diego when he had that nice rotation with uh, you know, with a young Jake PV. They had Chris Young when he was you know, in his, in his younger prime years. And, you know, he's had experience working with really, really good pitchers. And, you know, I think he's been crucial for the development of a guy like a Freeman and Marquez and will be going forward. Um, you know, for them, it's a, it's a really, really nice young rotation that I'm looking forward to watching this year. Absolutely on that. But I, I think Chad Bettis is going to move to the bullpen because I think Sensatella is going to be that fifth starter behind Gray and Anderson. But if you look at the rotation, I think Tyler Anderson is kind of inconsistent. He is inconsistent and, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's kind of a wild card in that rotation. I would love to see them uh, maybe get Jeff Hoffman in there at some point during the year, just because I think he has that starter type stuff uh, for them. I'd love to see, uh, I'd love to see John Gray come out and have himself a nice year. He's, uh, you know, he's, he struggled a little bit last year at a high ERA, um, but, you know, he's obviously got that, He's obviously a first round, a former first round pick. He's got good stuff. Um, I'd love to see him bounce back this year behind Freeman and Marquez, and and you know go out and you know be that solid number three with depth in that rotation that they need. They have a lot of really really nice arms that they can mix and match in this rotation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely for sure. And then talk about the bullpen. I mentioned that Brian Shaw did not have a great year. Uh, Mike Dunn is okay. They kept Jake McGee, but Jake McGee is hit and miss. But Wade Davis, I think, is a very good cl- good piece to that Rockies bullpen at the closer position. He's huge, and you know, having Brian Shaw bounce back like you know, like you mentioned, he did not have a good year at all. Um, that that's going to be a nice bounce, uh, a nice bounce back candidate for them. One guy that I really want to point out, which I think goes a little bit under the radar, is they went out and they got Sangwon Oh, who's a guy that's got closing experience um, with the uh, with with the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that's a really really nice addition for them. Um, and uh, obviously, Chris Russon is a guy that they've had as a long reliever who is a, you know who's a reliable arm in their bullpen. Um, they have the potential with the arms that they have with Davis Shaw McGee, uh, you know, done, like you mentioned is okay with saying one. Oh, they have the arms to be able to get it done on the bullpen side of the ball. It's just a matter of them being able to find some consistency because that just seemed to be, uh, you know, an issue at times for them last year. Yeah. Talk about Scott Oberg. Another guy I'm pointing out, he had a tremendous season. I mean, seven and zero until we hit that home run in one of the Dodgers Rockies games I saw last year. I mean, and then Sangwano is a nice piece to their bullpen, like you've mentioned. Jake McGee's hit and miss too. 
Yeah, Jake McGee has big time stuff though, and I think that always plays. Um, you know, he, like you mentioned, he can be a little. You know, he can be inconsistent. He had a, a very very high ERA last year. Had some problems. Uh, you know, with you know with with hard contact, but you know. They they one one thing's for sure. As far as their you know both their bullpen and their rotation is concerned, they have no shortage of of really really good arms. It's just a matter of them being able to find that consistency and you know hopefully they have they have um, you know bounce back years from from Brian Shaw and Jake McGee and you know Sangwano fits into that bullpen well and they like I said they certainly have the arms to be able to do it. Yeah, let's also talk about. Some a, a big offseason move for the Rockies. I mean, talk about getting Daniel Murphy. I mean, he's going to help balance this lineup. I know you've seen him play with your Mets before, and they put Murphy at first base, but that's going to be expected. Put Daniel Murphy at first. I don't agree with Ryan McMahon at second because Brendan Rodgers is coming in to potentially replace DJ LeMayu. I expect Ryan McMahon to go to left field, but in the short term, I'll put Ian Desmond at second with Charlie Blackman in center. Yeah, I agree with you on that 100%. Um, I love getting Daniel Murphy in that lineup, especially in this ballpark. He's a pure hitter. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he's he, – he, you know, gets good at bats. He's a good contact guy. He can hit lefties well. And, you know, that ballpark is going to – and over the last few years, he's developed a nice power swing on him. So I think putting him in that ballpark is going to be very, very, uh, very, very good um, for them. It's going to allow them to lengthen the lineup, take some pressure off of Arenado in the middle of that lineup. Um, it's going to, you know, lengthen it behind Blackman and, and, and Story, give them protection. Um, and, you know, he's I, – I think out of every position that I've seen him play, I've seen him be the most comfortable at, at first base. He's obviously played most of his games at second base, but I think as far as taking pressure off of him having to – you know, make those uh, those range plays in the field, you know, and he's got he's shown in the past for me that he has the decent enough hands to be able to make the necessary picks at first base. I've seen I've always seen him that as being his most comfortable position. So I like putting him there. And then, like you mentioned, having uh, Desmond at second base and then moving McMahon to left so that Charlie Blackman can play center. Yeah, I think Blackman's more comfortable there, but putting Desmond at second base is going to be good for now until uh, if Brandon Rogers needs time to develop, then I think Brent, and then and then if Brandon Rogers is ready to get called up, then Ian Desmond will have a utility role on the bench. Yeah, and that's and I I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. I think they'll probably give Brandon Rogers more time. I see him being uh, more of a late season call up candidate if he's tearing it up. Bring him up maybe in. Uh, Maybe in July, early August, get his, you know, get him in there, get him a cup of coffee. But, um, you know, right now they still have a very, very well structured lineup. Um, for them, I think the guy that gets most overlooked, and you, you know, you might agree with me in this lineup is is David Dahl in right field. I'm going to mention him. I think David Dahl. I mean, he's a guy that since if when cargo if since since if cargo is going to retire, then David Dahl is a guy that's going to be a their starting right fielder. I saw him first in 2016. No, he can hit the ball very well. And he's a guy that I do think he is poised to put up big numbers this year. Like I predicted with Nick Ahmed, I see him taking his game to that next level and being a 20 or 30 home run guy for David. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, he's my breakout candidate for the Colorado Rockies for sure. It's it's a matter. Of, it was always a matter of him just getting at bats. He's clearly got and the pure. Oh he yeah, had ribs, rib issues. Yeah, he did have. Yes, yeah, you're right. He did have some health issues, and you know, it, it's just a matter of him getting in that lineup every single day, and and you know, showing what he can do because he's got, he's got a, a pure swing from the left side. He's a very very talented hitter, and you know, I. I, I you know, whether I, I don't know much about him as far as the defensive side of the ball goes, but I know one thing he's going to be able to go up there and, and, you know, he's going to go hit and he'll be able to add some more length to that lineup. And that's a scary lineup that they have in Colorado, even with the loss of DJ LeMahieu, which I think was a, a, a big loss nonetheless. Yeah, that was a dumb move for the Rockies to let go G, DJ LeMahieu because with LeMahieu and his caliber, a very good contacted hitter, second baseman, gold glove second baseman, and with him on the Yankees, I think DJ LeMay is going to is going to be great for the Yankees. Oh, I think he will too, and I think it came down to kind of a choice for them of, uh, you know, I, I think it was a pick of whether they wanted to, um, you know, kind of go with uh, Story and Rogers or maybe LeMahieu and Rogers, and you know, my my kind of take on it is like. You know, if they would have stuck with LeMahieu, I think there would have been that open possibility of them maybe trading uh, Trevor Story to fit Brendan Rodgers in there somewhere. Um, or, or, you know, maybe I could be wrong, but that's just my speculation on it. But, um, you know, LeMahieu is obviously a, a batting champ. He's a gold glove uh, type of second baseman, one of the best defensive infielders in the game. And, um, you know, I think he's going to be tremendous for the New York Yankees, like you said, but. Um, you know, I, I think getting Murphy in there kind of, you know, replace, not fully replaces him, but it still allows them to add the length in that lineup with him missing. Yeah. And with Trevor's story, he was on pace with Corey Seager in 2016 in his rookie year to be a rookie of the year nominee and candidate. But that finger injury kind of sidelined the rest of his rookie year. But I see Trevor's story being a building piece for the Colorado Rockies for years to come. Oh yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I was talking, you know, when I when I saw him in in 2016, I saw him in spring training, and me and my friend were talking about it. And you know, I I, I said to my friend, I looked at him and I said, expect this guy to be the next Troy Tulowitzki for the Colorado Rockies. This dude has pop for days, and he is a I I could argue that he's a little bit more athletic and rangy at the shortstop position than Tulo was. Um, I think Tulo probably had a better arm. Uh, than Story does. Uh, Story does have a good arm. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but I think one thing that I'll say about Story is that he's more athle- a little bit more athletic and rangy than Tulo was at the shortstop position, but man, can this dude rake. He's got power, light tower power, and on top of that, he was a 290 hitter last year, so he's obviously got the, uh, you know, the bat-the-ball skills necessary, and you know he- he'll be a big building piece. He's only 26 years old. Yeah, despite the injury he had in 2016. And then also talk about uh, contract situations for the Rockies regarding Nolan Arenado. We talked about that last week. I don't expect Nolan Arenado to join his hometown Dodgers next year. I expect the Rockies, before the 2019 season begins, to for, for the Rockies' management to extend Arenado. Now that LeMay, he was off the books. Oh, yeah, no. And like I mentioned last week, I think it would be stupid for them not to extend Arenado. I think it's absolutely necessary. He is the core of that team. He's arguably the best third baseman in baseball. And, you know, you have to be able to keep those pieces if you want to contend long term. And, 
Um, you know, obviously Blackman got his money. Um, you know, Story is, is going to get his money. I think you're going to have to pay David Dahl at some point when he continues to grow. Um, but, you know, you, you need to give that centerpiece contract to Arenado to keep, you know, to, to maintain the part of your core that is top five at his position and arguably the best at his position in baseball. Before we get to our lineup predictions for the Rockies, so next week we're going to talk about we're going to start in the National League. We're going to go to the National League Central, and we're going to talk about three teams next week. We're going to talk about the three teams that are going to compete in the are going to be division contenders, which will be the uh, Cubs, Cardinals, and Brewers next next week when we go on air for our all thirty MLB preview. And then uh, and then uh, and then the following week we're going to talk about the Reds and the Pirates. And you're going to want to t- you're going to want to tune in for that conversation about the Cubs, Cardinals, and and. And Brewers, because oh boy, that's those are three fun teams that are going to come out this year and and smack some people. Over. Those are going to be some fun teams to talk about. You're going to want to tune in for that. It's going to be a great time. You guys want to tune in for that, and then when it comes to the National League Central talk next week for sure. But uh, with that being said, I'll predict my lineup for the Colorado Rockies. I have Blackman leading off and playing center field. I have Trevor Story hitting second and playing shortstop. Then David Dole hitting third and playing right field. Then Nolan Arenado hitting fourth and at playing third. Daniel Murphy is hitting fifth. Then uh, Ian Desmond hits sixth. Then Chris Iannetta bats seventh. And then uh, Ryan McMahon hits eighth. Perfect. Yeah, I, I literally have the same exact lineup, actually. That's that's right on par. No, I think that's great. Um, I tinkered a little bit with the idea of kind of switching Dahl and Murphy around. Um, and having Murphy maybe back uh, bat second, but then I thought about it a little bit, and I, I like having the uh, you know the the power of Murphy having be a little bit lower in the lineup for me, um, and you know Dahl I think at this point in his career is a little bit more of a pure hitter than Murphy. I think Murphy when he gets to Colorado is going to learn to rely on the home run ball a little bit more and kind of spray the gaps more, um, whereas Dahl is much more of a pure hitter that can go up there and smack that ball the other way as well as being able to show that gap power and that tremendous power over the fence as well. So, um, you know, that's the only thing I really tinkered with. Other than that, we pretty much have the same exact lineup top to bottom. Yeah, for sure on that. But the reason why I have story batting second is because it's going to fill the void that was left by DJ LeMay, who used to hit behind Blackman. Which is – and having a th- – Ugh, you want to talk about something scary. The fact that you have a deep enough lineup to where you have a guy who had 37 home runs – batting in the number two spot is just like that's outrageous it's scary and you know even blackman is a guy at the leadoff spot who has the ability to hit 25 30 home runs so you have you have five or six guys in this lineup with with blackman um you know story doll um aaron aldo aaron auto um and and murphy who have the ability to hit 25 30 home runs each and even even ian desmond when he's you know, when he's fully healthy and in the lineup also has the ability to hit for that type of power. It's, it's scary. The length of this Rockies lineup, it's going to be a scary lineup, but I mean, they got a good pitching staff. Their bullpen's pretty is going to be very good. But with that being said, let me, let's talk about breakout players for each team in the national league West. We started with the diamondbacks and that is given to Nick Ahmed as the breakout player for the diamondbacks for the Rockies. I'm going to go with, uh, I mean, Aside from David Dahl, I, pre- I predict that David Dahl is going to be a breakout player for the Rockies. I'm going to also go with Herman Marquez as well. 
Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think Marquez is going to take his game to a new level this year. You'll love the stuff on him. Um, you'll love the ability to pick up strikeouts. He's got a, you know, he gets a really, really good swing and miss rate. Um, so, I, yeah, I agree with you. Both of those guys, I expect Dahlin and Marquez to be really, really high contributors this year. Yeah, with Marquez having not such a good record last year, I mean, last season, Herman Marquez uh, in 2019, um, I mean, he was okay. Like he was 14 and 11 last year with an ERA at 3.77. I see that. I see his numbers getting better when the new season starts and it's going to be Cy Young numbers that Herman Marquez is going to put up along with Kyle Freeland, who's going to continue to get better. Oh yeah. I think those two are going to be dark horse candidates uh, to, to possibly sneak into that Cy Young race next year. Obviously that's going to be headed by, you know, the, the Kershaw's and the DeGrom's and the Scherzer's of the world. But I expect those two to make a dark horse case for that. Now, so now we predicted for the Diamondbacks breakout players, Nick Ahmed. For the Rockies, it's David Dole and Herman Marquez. And for the Dodgers, we talked about this already. I think it's going to be three guys that I think is going to be very good for the Dodgers this year. It's going to be Alex Verdugo, Julio Urias, and Walker Bueller. And I could not agree with you more on those. Like I mentioned, I think that Walker Bueller is a guy that has the potential to be an 18-game winner this year. Um, you know, whenever they throw Urias in the rotation, he's going to be absolutely phenomenal. I think they're probably going to either start him in the bullpen or maybe down in AAA to kind of slowly bring him along. And, um, you know, obviously we've heard about the potential of Verdugo, and now he's got to go out there every day and show his ability, which he clearly has the ability to hit. And he's a solid defender, so we'll see. Yeah, I expect Alex Verdugo to be the starting right fielder for the Dodgers, like we talked about weeks ago. Yeah, he's. I think he's going to be in the in the uh, in right field in the opening day lineup for sure. Yeah, like talk about an outfield with Verdugo, Pollock, and then Bellinger and left. But when the Dodgers, when the when the 2019 season begins for the Dodgers, yeah, that's a nice opening day lineup right there. Yeah, we we talked about the Dodgers and all and all that stuff with their breakout players, but I, I see three players breaking out this year and. Bueller, Urias, and uh, Bueller, especially Bueller, because I think Walker Bueller is going to enter his name into the Cy Young race this year with Kershaw. Oh, I do too. Yeah, no. I think he's going to be 18 game winner type of guy this year. Um, obviously, is it's tough to go out and do it. Um, you know, we'll see if that, you know, we'll see if he gets affected by some sort of sophomore slump. I don't think he will just because his stuff plays so well. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to, uh, like you said, I think he's going to slide his name into that Cy Young contention. Yeah, and then let's. And now we talked about the Dodgers breakout player in 2019 to wrap up our NL West talk. Um, go with the Padres now, and I have two or three break. I have three breakout players on on the Padres like the Dodgers. I have first of all is Fernando Tatis Jr. The second one is Mackenzie Gore, and the third piece who I think is going to improve his average big time a little bit. He'll be a 270 hitter with 40 home runs. Is Hunter Renfro. I like Hunter Renfro a lot. I think he's always had good power potential. Uh, me and you have talked about multiple times how we think that, um, you know, Fernando Tatis is going to come up and, and, and light up the National League. We both think he's going to win the Rookie of the Year award. I, actually, I, I love that pick um, for him to be able to, to come up and be able to just be an impact bat in that, in that Padres lineup. Yeah, and then I also talked about Mackenzie Gore this year as well. 
I would. I, I'm. I'm still a little bit iffy on that, just because I don't know what specifically they're going to do with him. I'd love to see him up. I think he's certainly got number one stuff, but um, you know, we'll see how quickly they want to move him along. And for the Giants, my breakout player this year for the San Francisco Giants is Stephen Duger and Chris Shaw. I love both of those picks too. Yeah, I love both of those. So now you and I already have our breakout player picks for the uh, National League West this year, right? Yep. And now um, our final, my final MLB thought is I'm looking forward to when you and I next week start talking about the National League Central. Oh, yeah, that's my final MLB thought, too. That's going to be an incredibly exciting discussion. Um, you know, those are three teams in, in, the, in the Cubs, Brewers, and, and uh, Cardinals that are, you know, going to be 95-plus win teams. I think that all three of those teams are going to be making the postseason and um, those are going to be incredibly exciting rosters to break down. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It is going to, it's going to be a lot of fun. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun talking about those three teams first to start off the, our national league central talk. And then, and then it ends with the uh, Pittsburgh uh, pirates and the uh, Cincinnati reds before we move on to the, to your division, the national league East. Since we already Ooh. talked about the Mets, we're going to talk about the nationals and Braves and the Phillies and the Marlins before we Oof. jump to the American League. And that's that's going to be another fun division, too. That's a, a bit of a crowded division. Obviously, you can rule the Miami Marlins out of that. But between the Mets, Nationals, Braves, and, and Phillies, especially when the Phillies get Bryce Harper eventually, that's going to be another really, really competitive uh, division, too. So these divisions are stacking up really, really well so far early on. Yeah, but anyways – Next week for our MLB talk, we got the Brewers, the the Cardinals, and the Cubs next week. And we'll take a break, and we're going to talk about some NBA stuff. We got some interesting stories to talk about regarding the trades and all that. So stay right here, and we'll be back.